Pod Podcast. Pod 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 Podcast. Pod 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 Podcast. Pod 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 Podcast. Pod 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 Podcast. Pod 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 Podcast. We watched The Office for Not a Hate Watch. Hello, it's me, Missy Information, here as always with Alice. That was even sweat. You told me the intro was going to be sweaty. That's That was even sweatier than I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, like, but, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You got what I was going for there, so mission accomplished. Sure, yes, mission accomplished. That That's what we'll say. Hello. I had to get the hello i had to get everyone familiar and i mean we could have started with an awkward cold opening that led to the actual opening but we're just getting that out of the way now after that we got the opening done so get people familiarized into it here we're watching the nbc hit emmy award winning show the office alice this is you diving into it your first foray foray after having only watched the pilot initially correct Uh, actually so we in watching one of the episodes of season three, I realized that it was actually episode three as as far as I made it before I before I gave oh, up okay. um, last time because I've, I I have distinct memory of the end of that episode and feeling like the cringe was just off the charts in a way that I couldn't handle. So that's that's kind of where i gave up I, I i very much remembered as i was watching that episode I was like oh i've definitely seen this before and then oh yep there it is at the end um so yeah i, I had only watched the first three but I, I i've had i had friends who um watched it um at the time when it first came out i, I have i've had friends since then who have been obsessed with it um i used to sometimes read the recaps that run the av club because like you existed in culture back then you were part of you were part you you know you you were very close to the office even if you weren't um even if you weren't watching it um and i and I, I i had always liked the parks and rec side of the split more of the office parks and rec split um and I, and I think it's interesting. I, I want to talk about that a little more later, but um, I was thinking a lot about how, because like The Office was one of the, was like the first thing in American TV that really popularized the mockumentary format. And I had, I had a lot of thoughts about it as I was watching the episodes for tonight's, for, or for this recording. Very good. We're gonna sounds like we're gonna cover a lot of different topics. Um, I watched The Office. Uh, this was a staple for mine when it started into college, and and basically once I graduated and Michael Scott left The Office, that's sort of when I started to leave it too. I believe I gave some of the next season a try, but didn't make it all the way through it after they did the um the boss reshuffle, uh, which is interesting and just how that plays into the season nine experience to where we open and so many people are in new positions and everything like that which we'll we'll get to but you know that's sort of where i realized that you know it just wasn't my my type i felt the cringe that's where my cringe moment had gotten too much um and where uh i just sort of fell off and realized that it's like you know what i don't care about these characters as much as i care about these other shows that i'm more interested in now Hmm, interesting why don't we why don't we just go ahead and dive into season one? Let's do that. I watched the pilot mm. episode of season one just to reacquaint myself with where everything began. It's also a very solid episode. Uh, it's a direct remake of the British office 
episode that also was the mm-hmm. pilot, uh, which was written by um, notorious turf Ricky Gervais and notorious very kind nice guy uh, Stephen Merchant. So uh, it was adapted by Greg Daniels uh, for NBC. Uh, but the pilot more or less is a as much of a shot for shot remake as possible with some cultural references uh, changed for it as well. And you know what? It works. It was a really good introduction. There's a lot of cringe, uh, especially just the uh, Michael Scott's propensity for quoting people of other uh, nationalities or ethnicities uh, as the way that they would sound, uh, which, of course, is a little bit of the the, the summation of, of Michael Scott's white privilege being the the joke of his being there. You know, he can be a mediocre white man and be the boss of all these people. Uh, and that's sort of where we start. I'm not going to belabor uh, that episode too much because I'm much more interested in your thoughts revisiting it. But it was nice just to see where they all started and, and just the, the will they, won't they. Roy being an asshole uh, to Pam, and so Jim being the nice guy to that. And and Roy was very much... I forgot how much of an a- Roy was an asshole. It wasn't like something that developed. Like, no, he was very clearly meant to be a character you did not like from yeah. the start, uh, objectively. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to go from there. But uh, what episode did you go to next? You talked about episode three. Yes, I watched yeah. episode three. I think it's called Healthcare. And then I also watched episode five, which is yes. the basketball episode. Um yeah, uh, episode three was interesting. Um, my first thought when I was watching this was, these are all children. John Krasinski looks like a baby in this show. I, I looked it up. Right? He was twenty six when he when the, when the, when they made the, when they when they shot this. Um, Jenna Fisher was thirty one, and she looks like she could be twenty four. Um, the two of them, especially, I think, compared to because um, Steve Carell's got a guy that got the thinning hair. They've got him in the really, really bad suits, like the suits that don't fit him that are way too big. Um, it was very. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had not reached his zaddy yeah, stage yeah. yet. Yeah, um, it was surprise. I was so surprised. I was like, this is like a time capsule from another time. Um, I also, I also was really surprised that that there was a lot of them just actively um addressing the camera as if they are as if the cameraman is a person in the room which i feel like in terms of the mockumentary mm-hmm. format you 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 start less and less of that as time went on like i even i feel like even parks and rec they would look at the camera but they would never like talk to the person behind the camera necessarily um there's a show that that's on now that I kind of like called Welcome to Flatch, which is um it's it's a mockumentary about like small town America, and they do talk to the they do talk to the 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 the, the theoretical people filming the documentary in that show, and 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 I guess because Parks and Rec didn't do it as much, or at least I don't remember it doing as much. It really surprised me to see The Office doing it because I just had thought it was just a conceit. Um, in order to give them like the talking heads and stuff, but but no, it was it was it was pretty surprising. Um, the one of the first times they someone like I probably Jim just like, did you see this? Are you getting this? It was just like, oh wow, it, this really is a this was a thing. Yeah, I think that was part of the layer of humor that people were interested in is that the fact that. The, the TV show acknowledges that it in of itself is a construct because all the characters are almost seeing through the fact that it's a show and it's looking at you, the audience, and sort of just bringing you into their thoughts without even having to say things yeah. sometimes. Or we get the use of the talking heads where that, you know, sort of gets the snippets of their personality that they're not willing to show us 
in front of the whole office, but that they can give you little glimpses that build it up on there. Yeah, it it was interesting because the only comparison, I guess, would be the Christopher Guest yeah. mockumentary films. But that's even a different mm-hmm. style and, and has a slightly different tone um, than this does. A little more quirky than cringe. Uh, but that's really probably the only thing that people had in terms of a mainstream idea of what this would be and and those were in themselves fairly niche mm-hmm. films absolutely yeah or or the british office itself which i had heard of like i because because again i was like a comedy nerd who existed on the internet so i definitely had heard of it i know i got the dvds from netflix and i, I think i only watched one or two of the first episodes before i, I kind of bounced off of it i think probably for the same reason um episode three like was really tough to watch i think especially because you see michael scott sort of like he t- he says that there's going to be a surprise and he keeps trying to build and build to the surprise and it feels like the walls are closing in on him and at the end of the episode he's just like he's just like so pathetic and then and then everyone just sort of realizes that there's nothing and they just leave i think that was like too much for me it was it was almost too much for me now even um like many like 15 years later to try to to try to watch that still it was just so i i just have such a hard time with that because i I feel so embarrassed for him and something i thought was true in both the first episodes was you you understood that he says he wants to be a good boss but there's very little actual virtue behind a lot of the stuff that he's doing and it, it, it seems just kind of like he's just incompetent or or um mean in some cases whereas in the later episodes um that i watched it it feels like they've definitely done the thing that i think parks and rec also did which was they've humanized the characters they give the characters victories um, they give the characters little little things to show that they care and there are good people behind the scenes but it's pretty bleak it was pretty bleak um episode three especially but episode five as well um which is the basketball episode which i also watched um similar setup the um at the end of that episode like he's trying to get around the fact that he had tried to um he 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 had forced the staff to have whoever lost the basketball game um work on the weekend and then he had and then he and then he kind of arbitrarily cuts the game off and everyone's mad at him and so he kind of just deflates again and i felt like i just felt again i just felt like oh god i would crawl out of my skin if this was me yeah, it's it's interesting because in the way that uh, we talked about with the Big Bang Theory and how with some of the characters, but especially Sheldon, you feel like there's a line that they cross where their character leans into just being an an asshole versus like naive or incompetent or charmless, inappropriate, whatever you know, whatever things don't quite cross the line. And and Michael Scott's character, especially in the first season, crosses that line. A lot more than not. I think they sort of like found a bit of a balance with him in seasons two and three and then sort of like lost it a little bit. But then when uh, they brought a character called Holly in, who was played by Amy Ryan, who I thought was like amazing balance to Michael Scott and made his character bearable. Uh, but that ended with them not being able to be together. And then the next season, he was like a miserable asshole again. And then he left. And I was just like, oh, no. But he left to go be with Holly. And I was like, well, at least I like that he's going to that character because that character was yeah. his better half. And that was sort of what he he realized in the end yeah. of it. But, yeah, it, it, it's, it is... Uh, 
Yeah, I, the ones that I watched to season one was The Hot Girl, which had Amy Adams as a purse salesperson who comes mm-hmm. to the office, and they don't normally allow people in a cell, but because she's Amy Adams and is hot, they all bring her in, and like Michael Scott basically like rearranges the whole day around her being there, and it then is just like several minutes of comedy around the male gaze. And, like, the women in the office just having to, like, roll their eyes at the camera and being like, ooh, you know, they don't really get much of a point of view except for when the, the, the characters do get, like, you know, when the women talk to, to each other, they have sort of, like, normal conversations and stuff. Um, but it just was, like, one of those things where, yeah, the comedy just relies on the cringiness of that dudes be like that. And it just was like, oh, yeah, it... it it wasn't the most cringe, but that was basically what happened the entire episode with, you know, some some relationship developments, you know, always pushing the, the Pam and uh, Jim line closer and closer together. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm curious, when you watched the show, especially when, when it was first airing, which of the characters did you, did you relate to anyone? Did you, did you feel like, oh, this is, oh, this is me, I'm this person? No, no, I don't think so at all. Um... I, I don't normally watch TV shows and think to myself, who am I most like? Unless there's a person who is so clearly like my personality sure. where I just, you know, is is is, a, is unmissable. But no, I, I don't. I, and even now thinking about it, I don't think there's a character that I would say I relate to most or am most like. Although I recognize all of these archetypes of people, especially now that I work in an mm-hmm. office. Uh, thankfully, I don't have near this level of incompetence or sure, meanness yeah. or uh, pettiness uh, as as this does, you know, albeit for comedy. Uh, so it isn't nearly as bad. But yes, these types of people, it it did make me laugh knowing that, oh yeah, these, these people did and still exist. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and there's definitely... I definitely, having worked in, in a number of office jobs, definitely agree that, like, they're drawing on pretty, like, they, they have pretty broad archetypes for a lot of the characters, but there, but there is, like, a, definitely a kernel of truth in a lot of this. Um, okay, I, I was surprised that, going back to my notes, Steve Carell, I looked it up, Steve Carell's 5'9", but it, I guess everyone on the else in the show is really tall because he looks like a short king, especially compared to John Krasinski, <laughs> who I guess is six three. And and I don't know, just something about the way they shot it. He seems so t- tiny in comparison. I think I think again, it was like season one, especially they just had him in really bad suits that just did not fit him. Were like super boxy in the shoulders and stuff. Um, you know, they they probably also I- shot it in a way to make him seem physically out of his depth even like he probably yeah, seems yeah. like a small and you realize oh he's like isn't even fit for the role because he can't even fit into the suits you know <laughs> that he's right. in for or whatnot yeah and then um dwight continually brings up the fact that he's like a volunteer sheriff's deputy and like fucking a cab dwight um <laughs> also also the uh the the shirt that he wears the like fake anime convention shirt that he wears in the basketball episode was was a little that was like oh yeah that one that one that one that one hit me a little hard because it was like 2005 was back what before I think anime had hit mainstream popularity and so it was still very very niche um, I feel like if you if you 
I mean, like, okay, so on a, on a show like Grand Crew, which is a show on NBC, the characters just talk about anime that they like as if as character traits, and it's not like it's not like the Big Bang Theory sort of oh look at this nerd who's into anime sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was like a, a neat little time capsule there seeing seeing that. Yeah, and I've uh, found it just interesting to how all of them now the sort of like level of niceness and the hierarchy and the types of characters you have to have within there that beat and formula um sort of translated into then parks and rec where the first season we'll talk a little bit about this right now uh just in the sense that the first season of parks and rec which i have not watched i actually have been told just don't watch Mm. it because it it tried to be too much like the office and that Mm -hmm. um, leslie nope's character was more of a bumbling asshole yep. and like couldn't competent, and they realized that's not really how they want to portray the city, or at least how they felt the comedy went up. So then, where it just mm-hmm. you know changed to her over eagerness being the point, which is what I think initially Michael Scott's character I read him as is just over eager and like so mm. willing to want an audience that he is just saying and doing whatever to like because he sure. that is what in his weird brain he thinks is what other people wants because he is just projecting the things that he likes you know and he can't mm-hmm. like see past that or whatever um yeah so that just the sort of like oblivious buffoon uh aspect of it is is probably what I liked about his character to begin with um and mm-hmm. and not was it was relatable to him but I just like that that trope within a character I just have found others that have done it you know, a little bit more to my taste as, as time has passed. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, again, this show was pretty cutting edge at the time. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot, I feel like it does influence a generation of comedy, not just the mockumentary format, but I really think about, like, how the characters interact. If you think about, like, um, serialized storytelling in sitcoms in general and um, the way that, the way that, um, I don't know, it feels like just, like, the way that the characters talk. If you compare this to... A, a sitcom from like the early 2000s or or like the the 90s like watch an episode of like spin city and then mm-hmm. watch an episode of the office and more shows sound like the office now than anything and i think like even though i know like you know eventually i think became a ratings hit but i, I know it started off as not really not really a big ratings driver um i think it was just largely very influential on like 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 american tv and american comedy especially yeah i, th- I think it, it's it didn't rely on one-liners or like the characters themselves the being witty all the stuff, time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it is like obviously sitcom, so it's scenario based, but it is less about the scenarios and more about the character serialization and you caring more about the characters as they go. Because the uh, the interesting thing about season one that I also forget is that so many of the characters that were just background characters at that point and become mm-hmm. fully realized parts of the story to where season nine were following storylines that involve them that we never would have thought of when they were just, you know, silent, you know, actor in the background that they needed, you know, to just sort of type and say a line every now and then, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the way that when we got to the Big Bang, you know, theory season nine, there were characters there that we were like, I don't know who they are, but clearly they belong in the group. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I actually talked to my friend, Emily, who is really into the office and she, she, she always talks about how she would like, like rewatch it like repeat repeatedly as a sort of coping mechanism for life. And so I asked her if, 
you had to pick one episode that was indicative of the show, which one would you pick? And she gave me two answers. They were the Dundies in season two and Dinner Party, which I think is in like season four or five. Oh, yes. and so I, I chose the Dundies because it, I, I figured I'd just watched some of season one. I, I, I know I'd heard a lot. Like, like that, that's an episode I feel like it's cited a lot as one of the best of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I watched that one, and it was kind of surprising. I think, like, in the same way that I think Parks and Rec in the second season really takes a, a tonal shift. The tonal shift here is is smaller, but it is definite, it is, there is definitely a shift. Um for all of Michael Scott being ridiculous still, there is definitely an aspect of showing how much he cares and loves about the staff that really comes through in a way that I think just doesn't in season one, especially especially in episode three. Um, I also they got him they got him some better suits. He looks a lot better. He does not look he looks like he fucking went to men's warehouse and got taken care of. Um, I she didn't show up in any of the episodes I watched in season one, so I really I really enjoyed baby Mindy Kaling. Um, showing up in in season two as kelly um that was fun and the thing i was surprised by was i was really into pam as a character i just like i i mean she was kind of like a blank slate who would just who was just there to laugh at it felt like she was just there to laugh at John Krasinski's jokes in 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 the early episodes. Um, I felt like they really gave her something to do. They gave they let her make choices. Um, the 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 joke. Um, I feel God tonight in this Chili's is like an all time great TV joke. I think. Um, yeah, I when I when I finished this episode, I immediately wanted to watch the next one because I was genuinely curious and I thought that. Um, Jenna Fisher was just incredible, and and so like I guess it it makes sense to me because I feel like they get, definitely gave her a lot more to do in this episode as compared to the other two I watched. But um, but yeah, it was I I I was surprised how into it I was. I was genuinely like, I think I think I'm just gonna watch The Office now. Is is what it is. I think I'm just gonna watch it. Oh, this is delightful. What a this is a stunning update because we've not had a TV series yet where the person what either one of them uh, us has dove into it before. So this is exciting. Cuz I will say I think season 2 and season 3 of The Office are like consummate seasons of a sitcom. They are mm-hmm. incredibly good. Everyone is firing all peaks. I think the developments are good. Uh you know, I think like most shows they just get to a place where they heighten it to a certain point, and then you just have to accept where they're heightening next. And sometimes you get there, and yeah. it doesn't. But yo, know, I I think you will enjoy um, the early seasons, especially. But I don't think I, I don't think there's an episode of the show that's like bad or awful. Like I don't remember any mm-hmm. that I watched that I was like, oh, this is like you know terrible. It just was like a, a more like a general sort of of felt like I didn't need to come up with this. You know, uh, other things to watch, and just never never got around to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Did you watch any more or are you still uh, just got I, what you needed done and then I just I just watched those and then I wa- and then we watched the two episodes from the last season, okay. which was a big jump. I was kind of surprised. Um mm-hmm. so I knew that Steve Carell had left the show at that point and I knew that um Ed Helms had come over, come in as the new like boss character, which is also just like it was just weird. It was just like the daily show to comedy pipeline continues apace. Um 
and 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 it was it was especially odd because the first episode I watched was oh the first episode I watched was called The Whale and it was about um I I picked this one because the description on HBO Max or on Peacock said that it, it, it's something about the the women on staff were trying to do something and I was like oh okay well I I was trying to find a Pam episode so so I I definitely kind of lucked out on that um and in that one um. Andy um, at Helm's character is like on a boat or something. I did not understand what the fuck was going on there. <laughs> and then he just like wasn't in the episode. It was like, okay, this is odd. Um, but then also, Catherine Tate is there? Fucking, what is Catherine, Catherine Tate doing Tate there? Catherine Tate is there. So she was one of the people that was brought in after Steve Carell left. Uh, her character, Nellie, is the sort of oblivious absent-minded character that we see in life stuff i didn't love her character when she was first introduced and maybe it's just because she was introduced in the mix of who it was although i loved Catherine tate as an actress i had already seen her on doctor who at that point yes uh and so really just appreciate and seen some of her sketch shows so yeah um liked her role in this last season but yeah she just became a at some point was the boss but then became just a person who works in the office but isn't the boss like i yeah i did yeah it was just like okay i guess she's here now yeah they they seem to in the last season to be playing fast and loose with jobs and roles and stuff um the other episode we watched had a lot of that um but yeah no that was that was a delight it was like what is what is the dr donna doing here um i also loved that we got um ellie kemper in the in the last season i know she's been i know she was on the show for a while but her presence was really great um i love her and so that was that was also just great and um i was surprised that i thought I, I had heard that everyone said, oh, the office falls off, fell off, especially after Steve Carell left, it was like soulless or they, they lost the plot. I liked that first episode. I watched a lot, actually. I was, there were jokes I was laughing at. I was like, oh, they, I feel like they still, they still got their fastball a little bit here. Um, I think, I think if I had been following the show that long, I could definitely see it. And I'm, I'm sure I'm, I, I'm curious to see how I feel if I watch through all of it. Um, it does feel like there's an arc for most sitcoms where they start off either strong or okay. Seasons two and three are really where they like are firing on all cylinders and executing. And then by season four, they've run out of ideas and are just like scrambling to figure something to do. Um, and then, and then in, in many cases, like in other shows that I like, um, especially uh, you're the worst, the last season will feel like a return to form because it feels like, well, they know they're going to end. So they got to get all their good stuff out at the very end. And that, and that can be like a creative, um, spark i kind of felt the same way about, about parks and rec as well um and so yeah i i i was surprised how much i liked that i liked that first episode especially because i was expecting it to be really milk toast really watered down yeah i was also pleasantly surprised when i watched it i think i was one of those people who because i was so used to Steve Carell and Michael Scott being the center, the you know, the, the showcase of it and mm -hmm. part of the glue, when they were in the stage of trying to find who to replace and what the show was going to be without him, I, I just was almost like, you know what, y'all figure it out. You take your time to get it figured out, and then let me maybe come back at that point. Because I just, it was a very disjointed time, I think, for me to get it. But I think if I go back now and watch some of them, which I think I am going to, I would probably enjoy them more because it's not nearly as jarring of a transition one yeah as you said i just know it's gonna happen you know i know that he leaves and and it will become this and and 
I found it pretty interesting. Some interesting subplots. Did George have any any subplot to do with the um, the gay state senator? Oh yes, yes. That was that was really I. I don't know what the fuck they were doing with that with, with Angela as a character because in one episode she she keeps talking about the senator and how um, the senator is having an affair and it turns out he's actually probably probably gay um, and then the other episode I watched which was Live in the Dream one of the two part episodes towards the end of the se- the season she's she's getting evicted from her apartment and it has like a hundred cats or something and it was like this they sent that character on a roller coaster in the last season it seems like. And which is funny because I was about to comment the fact that she starts as just like basically a trope of a crazy cat lady who just loves religion a lot. And those are her mm. only traits to then all of a sudden being, you know, a state senator, you know, her her life revolves around being a state senator's, you know, fiance and, mm-hmm. and partner, all that. While um, Oscar thinks that he's in a relationship with the uh, senator uh, who's just using him. Womp womp. Those were actually the plots that were involved in my episodes however i want to start with yours because i believe your episode comes before mine in the mm-hmm. season yeah so the the main plot is that they have a big client who is a woman and dwight is in charge but it's very obvious that he can't talk to women and i actually thought this was really interesting because it felt like a really good parallel to the the episode of big bang theory we watched of from the from the last season where there it felt like how is Sheldon still like a functional person whereas I felt mm-hmm. like they handled they handled the Dwight not being able to talk like it's 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 similarly like kind of over the top and ridiculous but I think how the characters were reacting to it basically just like kind of making fun of him and trying to help him at the same time something about that tone really just worked for me in a way that the Big Bang Theory didn't yeah and I think it's it's a little softer mm-hmm. uh, I think it's not as abrasive as part of it but I also think it's because most of the time these this show has the characters becoming uh, becoming aware of their problematic behavior mm-hmm. most of the time. The other episodes actually sort of did it and they played off of it. But especially later on, you know, like the Parks and Rec, it was about the heart of these characters. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Drew is a very, you know, Dwight is a very odd, off person. Yes. But he's not like a malicious I mean, he can be, but it's not, you know, something where he he, de- he basically develops, you know, feelings of not being malicious over the season, mm-hmm. partly because of, weirdly, Angela <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and his relationship with her. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But he, it, it, he's being obnoxious, but he's not being an asshole towards the yes. women, I think. And, it, and, it, and, and I think there's also an aspect where they, they kind of portray him as being, like, powerless to his own social anxiety with this stuff. Um, and then, so then they, they go to the meeting and it turns out um, Pam goes with him, and then it turns out the the customer was actually Jan, and Jan was trying wanted to talk to Andy, but um, he wasn't there, and so and so Dwight went instead. And th- there was clearly more going on there that I didn't really understand because it was like, oh, there's like eight seasons of context here, but it was it was fine. It was it was it was all right. Um, I I definitely really liked the scene with all the all the women trying to train Dwight on how to talk like a person. Um, I liked, I kind of liked, um, I could kind of see them like really spinning the wheels on the, the, the Pam and Jim stuff, which is the thing that always happens on these shows where, where, when the, the will they or won't they's get together, um, they have to give them reasons for conflict and 
they get exceedingly dumb or stupid. Um, and so I, I definitely saw a little bit of that, but it didn't really bother me too much. And yeah, I just liked I liked the new characters, especially especially the um, the Ellie Kemper character. I I really enjoyed her, and I don't know. I, I, it went by surprisingly fast for me, is what I'll say. I, I, I again, I really thought I was gonna be groaning and 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 not into it, and I found myself way more engaged than I expected to. Good. I um uh, thought that the episode that I start off with was a uh, very solid. It was not my favorite of the two, uh, but it was vandalism. It revolves around. Pam making a warehouse mural, which is an mm. extension of a, a plot line that I actually really enjoy and led to one of the m- more notoriously sweet office moments uh, is Pam's uh, artistry. And uh, uh, that sort of uh, is a is a through line throughout where she wants to be taken seriously as an artist as it's sort of her way of like self-realization and like her place as you talk about. She's mainly a reactionary person in the first season, just meant there to serve up that. That was part of her discovery of what she wanted to be, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and her journey on that. So when uh, it gets vandalized by someone in the warehouse, it basically is revolving around, like, the people in the office helping her sort of, like, with schemes to figure out who in the warehouse did it. They were going to have like one of the office people, uh, one of the, the newer people uh, that I was introduced to the season. Um, they went down with Clark and took him and had him be like a spy and the warehouse people like, and he's obviously, and Dwight does this whole thing. I'm like, you go down there to the, the underlayer to those people that we, we hate so much. Oh, the warehouse you are, you are doomed to be here now. Uh, and so they're trying to scheme it all just because they're, you know, figuring out who it is. And the person who um, ended up uh, doing it in the, end was like just some guy in the world i don't even know who the character was but just sort of a brew and their payback for him was then they used washable paint on his truck which is the thing he cared about and they did like drawing on it and made him like on there but it ends with that warehouse worker like getting really aggressive and like really pissed off at pam mm-hmm. to where he starts like coming toward her and the boom mic operator like all of a sudden thwaps him and like lays him down and I know this is because there's a, a weird subplot in this in this last season during uh, uh, Jim and Pam's marriage troubles that a, the boom mic attendee played by Chris um, Diamondopoulos, uh, who, you know, a lot of people just did not like because it was a, a, a sort of a will they, won't they that people didn't, they didn't want, you know, Jim mm-hmm. and Pam to break up. Yeah. Uh, so they just genuinely did not like this character. And he's one of the more memed, like, fuck, I don't even remember what the character's name is, uh, Brian, I think, but yeah, it was like one of those fuck Brian kind of things. But I just thought that was interesting because it ended my episode and then I didn't pick up on that thread at all, at all again. So I just had more marriage troubles, but none of Mr. Boom Mike. Yeah, and, and, and I definitely, like, there were a lot of characters. I think there was Clark and the other guy who work in the annex showed up, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, they were just really throwing a lot of stuff at the wall here. But, um, yeah, I, again, that 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 makes total sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. For the second episode I watched, which is called Live in the Dream, that was one of the – I wanted to watch one of the sort of end-of-season episodes, but I didn't want to watch the finale. Um and so I watched that one, and that one is that one is about um, 
Andy, who is apparently back from his boat, um, decides he wants to go, he wants to quit to go pursue his dream of acting. And everyone is very much like, oh, no, you're, this is a, this is the worst fucking idea. He has no, he has no savings. He has nothing to fall back on, but he's, he's just, just, just sort of blindly going forward towards his dream. Um, that was the, that was the A plot. There was some other stuff that happened. I don't, Jim is, in the office, even though he doesn't work there anymore, and then by the end of the episode, he gets a job there again. So I was like, "Sure, yeah, right." Th- that felt really like, like um, end of end of end of show. We're just gonna conveniently make everything work, even though it makes no sense. Um, but it, it like like I, I expect that from a show like this. I, it didn't it didn't bother me too much. It was just it was just a little ridiculous. Um, the other big point in that episode is that Dwight ends up becoming getting promoted to be the manager of the office, and that's like a big deal for him. And I th- I really liked um, like like they have him be very over the top with it, like and how he's celebrating and everything. But when they tell the rest of the people in the office, everyone is happy for him because it's like, Oh, he's been working towards this like for so long. Um, and I really, I really liked that. I really liked that. Um, again, again, the characters in the first season just didn't seem to get any victories or have any virtue whatsoever. And to see, to see like this character who is, you know the most ridiculous of the of the characters on the show seemingly get um get something nice like that happened to them it was really it was really sweet i i i was again way more like surprised to be into it than i was expecting yeah it was interesting because the daryl and jim subplot of them making the sports agency company yeah. in philadelphia i i i uh, the plot, subplot that I had in my first episode, Vandalism, was them having an odd couple relationship where, like, literally, Jim doesn't want to do the dishes, and Daryl's upset about it, and he wants to live like a slob, and Daryl's up to do But it didn't go anywhere. Like, it didn't yeah. evolve, in, evolve their relationship. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it just it did show how Jim is sort of beginning to lose it, though, and is, like clearly without Pam is sort of like lost and doesn't mm-hmm. really have a good bearing on it. Um, that sort of continued in to uh, my second episode, uh, Stairmageddon, which is just a very funny name for an episode and where I want, like why I picked it, but it involves the elevator being under maintenance. And so they have to walk up the stairs, which of course they use Stanley as their, uh, pr- their point of view for it. Uh, who is uh, furious about it? <laughs> the The plot for this involves some of the most Looney Tune hijinks I've seen in an office uh, thing, and it really made me laugh. Even though I was like, "Wow, this is," <laughs> because Stanley doesn't want to walk all the way back down the stairs, but he has to go to a paper call with a school district that his sister's friend works at. He's the only one that can go. So what is Dwight's solution when Andy's like, well, just make him go. You know, he's like, ah, you have permission to let me make him go? He takes bull tranquilizers and makes a dart gun to shoot it at Stanley. And he shoots him up with, like, three things of it. They then drag, try and drag him to the hall. They're going to take him down the stairs. Um, how are they going to take him down the stairs? 
Well, of course, they evil can evil him, which means they wrap him up in bubble wrap, put a helmet on his head, and make, like, a cardboard slide down the stairs. To which then, while they're discussing how they're going to safely do it, he ends up sliding down and, like, hitting uh, with the helmet headfirst into the wall at the bottom of the steps. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and then they're like, oh, well, okay. You know, I guess we got him downstairs. And they move him on. They get him into the car. He starts to, like, wake up a bit. And then they take him to the uh, school district where at first it looks like he's going to – you worried he's just going to look like he's drunk because right. he's just slurring. But he leans in. He's like, oh, look at the baby in the photo. And they're like, yes, this is my grandson. And he ends up nailing it. And he's yeah. just like – isn't aware of it afterwards is happy uh and then the beat for the end of the episode revolving around that just so you know everything's okay he says well you made me come back you drug me downstairs you gotta drag me back up and he shoots himself with one of the tranquilizers to make dwight uh <laughs> have to take him back upstairs uh but it was just it, it was just such a goof and having done a play last year uh working with the playwright who had to write in uh, my character getting Phys- you know, physical stuff done to them, but having them pass out and everything, having the audience worry about, is this person going to be actually all right? And having yeah. to then make sure the beats work like that. This was one of those ones where like, no, 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 we're not going to, we, the audience is just going to accept all these things are happening. We're going to make it look safe, but also we just, we just want to throw a character down the stairs so bad. This is our last season and we're going to do it. Yeah. CTE be damned. That's, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, Jim and Pam are going into couples therapy. That was mm, sad. There are no real yeah. jokes around that. Mm-hmm. And then did, uh, the state senator. I had two revelations in my episodes that I mm-hmm. think are interesting because they're sort of buttons to that storyline. One of them is at the part, the first episode, there was a birthday party for their son, uh, for Angela and... Um, senator's you know son Mm -hmm. uh which i think we learn is actually dwight's son and isn't the senator's son Mm. uh and uh he invites oscar to the party and then angela and oscar both realize that they're being used as props Mm. and like uh Basically, he, Oscar is there to be, like, the token Hispanic because then they also, like, literally wheel in someone in a wheelchair to be in the photo. They don't have a black person, so they grab, like, a waiter who's black and put them in the photo. So it's, like, it's it's a pointed beat of, like, oh, you're inferring it, but then also, like, no, they make you know that this is exactly what's happening. Yeah. And then the second episode dealt with the senator outing himself at a press conference and announcing he's in a relationship with his chief of staff. So Angela gets the that sort of like puts her in in the place where you now saw her in your episode where Mm -hmm. she's having to be a crazy cat lady at her apartment by herself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also kind of was a a gut punch for Oscar, who thought that he might actually have a relationship, but just realized uh, exactly how much he was being used. So I don't I need to find out more about that character and where it ends up. But it Mm -hmm. just was an interesting sort of one two punch uh, for both of them. Uh, and that plot line that I had forgotten existed. So when I saw it again, I'm like, oh, juicy drama. I can't wait. <laughs> That's great. In my in the second episode of mine, they they let Ed, Ed Helms play a song on guitar and sing. And that was that was kind of the turning point for his story, which is like, oh, maybe this character has some talent and will find a way. But it also just felt like, man, Ed Helms just really wanted to sing, didn't he? Oh, yeah. That was part of my... my... Andy is not my favorite character and did not have my favorite overall yeah, arc. Yeah, I can see that. 
Yeah, he was in part. There, there was a tertiary. I mean, actually, quadriary uh, plotline in mind that involved Andy going to a talent agency, and the talent agent is not literally Roseanne Barr, but was acted by her. Uh, and it just was mm-hmm. like there for jokes because there was literally a joke where in the waiting room there was an act, and what was the act? It was a dog that has a cat that bounces on it that has a mouse that bounces on it, and he has to, the the act. Uh, it was Scott Thompson who played it, so he was funny in delivering it. But mm-hmm. it was just weird where I'm like, "Yep, this is just yeah. here to be a bit. It's not. We're just doing this scene to sort of have these bits go, mm-hmm. but we're also literally because we've had so many characters, we have to have five different plots because all these characters have to have some progression." Yeah during the episode. Yeah, uh, so that was sort of my other thing too, was realizing how much ground they were having to move within 22 minutes. And, and you're right, these did fly by. I did not feel like these drug at all, but it was just like a little self-awareness of like, oh yeah, we have four or five different stories going on because we just have, you know, 16 different characters that at least one person out there wants to know what's going on with them. So we got to make sure we give them a line or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that we should probably wrap it there. Um, again, very surprised that I was really into it, and I think I'm just gonna go watch the office. I'm now. very glad because I uh, rewatching this. I have fond memories of it. I think I just needed some time to be removed from it, and I think I will join mm-hmm. you in rewatching yeah. uh, some of the episodes that I, uh, at least the ones that I had missed and and hadn't seen. But I might just you know go start back from season two since I more or less watched all season one and and go from there yeah and so I, I, I my thought is in the next episodes that we record I will give an update on on my office watch journey I'm really curious to see like I'm not gonna make a guarantee that I'll finish it because I do think there's a chance I'll fall off at some point but I'm really excited to to, to actually watch it and kind of like actually get the context for all these weird random non sequiturs I feel like I've been hearing for 15 years. Perfect. We'll have an Alice talking head, you know, during the episode where you can break away and address the audience in a fourth wall and just let them know uh, into your world of the office journey. Yeah. Um, and so since, since we're done with the office, now is normally the time where um, I would pick something for you mm-hmm. off of your list for us to watch next. That is correct. But I'm actually going to, I'm going to swerve a little bit. Here we go. And... We are going to watch The Morning Show, which is the Apple TV show that features Steve Carell ah, as the disgraced news host. Yes. I, this was actually the epi- this was the show that inspired this podcast format was I I I kind of want to watch this show and I feel like if I watched it I would be hate watching it because I've heard such such bad things about this show. Um and so yeah, I thought I thought it would be appropriate for us to 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 go back to where this all started. With which is the morning show. Um, there's only two seasons of the morning show, and so I'm going to recommend that we just watch the first two or three episodes instead of watching something from from both seasons. I agree. But um, yeah, I thought I, I thought we, let's get some let's get some more Steve Carell in our lives. I guess let's do it. And we're going to jump ahead. Is I have also not seen this. Is one where I had it intrigued me. Uh, I don't have Apple TV. I have people who have Apple TV. Uh, but so I just have not sought it out, uh, you know, uh, myself sure. for that reason. But yeah, I'm I'm curious to see Steve Carell a la Matt Lauer and how, how I feel about 
someone who's usually goofy and I know has by this point taken, you know, serious acting turns. Like, it's, you know, he's he was oh, far yeah. removed from the Michael Scott at that point, but not to me. He's not that far removed from it where uh, I am going to be serious, curious to see the serious turn that he that he has. Yeah, and that show is just also kind of bonkers in its own way. I think it has, like, Reese Witherspoon. Well, it's Reese Witherspoon and, and Jennifer Aniston, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And a bunch of other people as well. I, I feel like every time I hear something about that show, it's it's just more ridiculous. Like, oh, this person's in the show now or something. And and, and so I'm genuinely curious to see what it's like. Um, I am going to have to abide by the title of our show and make sure that it isn't a hate watch, even though I, I really think that's probably what I'm going to end up doing. Feel how I'm gonna end up feeling about it. Um, so yeah, I think I think we should we should watch the morning show next. I think we should, and we will. And oh my, let's see if it's a hate watch or not one. But for now, we gotta end the episode like we would at the end of any office themed podcast episode. Pop podcast. Pop 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 podcast. Pop 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 podcast. Pop pop pod 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 pop pop podcast. Pop 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 podcast. Which is how long they do it for the credits at the beginning of season nine. And the only thing they feature besides the sign of Scranton is Jim and Pam kissing and then right to the office. Which I was like, ew, gross. The listener can't see this, but I'm looking directly at the camera. Do 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 do. NBC